0: John chapter 4. And I thought, um, while y'all are taking some time to find John chapter 4, which is in the New Testament, uh, fourth book of the New Testament, as y'all are flipping there, um, I thought this would be a good time to just tell you a little bit about myself, because I want you to know me while I'm here. It's important for you to know me. It's important that I feel like you know me. I don't know what I'm saying. Um... I did not grow up in a, uh, a really a Christian context. I, I, w- I would say that we went to, we went to church on holidays, Christmas and easter We were, we were one of those families and when I was uh, I, in the summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school, I was sitting in a spot just like you were. I was uh, at, at a youth group retreat in Panama City with my youth group. And that was really the first time that I had heard the gospel preached. I saw something in my Christian friends that I I knew that I didn't have. And uh, I gave my life to Jesus. He converted me. He saved me. I, I was, uh, became a Christian. And my life really did uh, dramatically change. Even though I didn't have one of these kind of dramatic conversions where I was a drug addict or something like that, I was the type that was... Uh, uh, like, lonely and depressed, and would write poetry and, and listen to like sad and angry music in my room by myself. Like, I was that guy. And uh, I became a Christian. My life really did change dramatically. And I became on fire for Jesus. I don't quite know what that means anymore, but I was on fire at the time. And so I was involved in everything got involved with youth group, my church, FCA, Young Life. If there was a Bible study or a prayer meeting or a worship event, I was at it. I was very excited, very involved. Fast forward three years, I'm a sophomore in college, and the way that I would describe myself then was that I was burnt out, I was filled with guilt and fear, and really Christianity had become a a drudgery, a routine, Uh, and if I was honest, I think it had become a competition, with my friends to see who could be holier than, than, than the next, and I was burnt out. But I was convinced intellectually that Christianity was true, but my experience of it was that it was just miserable. And, and I, but I thought that's what it looks like to be a Christian to walk the narrow road. Is that if you're going to be a Christian, life for you is pretty much feeling guilty all the time, feeling miserable. That's what it means to be a Christian. I'll tell you more about my story as we continue to meet together, but my guess is that may be where some of you are tonight. Maybe not, but looking back at that point in my life, I knew that something was radically wrong. The way that I was living, something was not right. I knew that I needed to change, and I'm going to put money on it, but I bet that you want to change as well. That's the assumption that I'm going into these next few days that we have together with, is that you want to change. And let me prove to you how I know that you want to change. Here's the first reason I know that you want to change. It's because seven months ago or so, several of you made New Year's resolutions. Do you even remember what those were now, by the way? I don't remember what mine were. But some of you made New Year's resolutions because you thought, I want to be different this year than I was last year. Another reason I know that you want to change is because... A lot of you devote a lot of time to practicing music or sports or video games because you want to be better, stronger, faster, you want to change, you want to be different. Uh, Some of you devote a lot of time when the school is in session, you devote a lot of time to school, to grades, to studying because you want to change, you want to get a better grade point average, you want to get into a, a, a good school, you want to change, you want something different about your life. Some of you want to change, I know, because you come in here and you're filled with uh, guilt and shame. And those are feelings of, I wish that there was something different about my story. I wish there was something different about my life. And some of you come in here and you want to change it because you don't like yourself, period. You don't don't like who you are, who God made you to be. You wish you were different, a whole different person. And maybe one of the reasons why you're here, this particular retreat thing that we're doing, is because you want to connect with God in a deeper way. You want to see him move. You want to see him do something in your life because you want your life to be different. You want it to, to be spiritually different. So the assumption that I have going into these times together is that you want to change just as much as I do. So what we're going to talk about for the next few times together is what the Bible calls sanctification. It's a big word that basically means how you change how you change and grow into becoming who it is that you were created to be and who you were redeemed to be. So tonight we're going to look at this passage from John chapter 4 and we're going to begin by talking about thirst. Because the reality is is that you cannot change unless you first admit that you're thirsty. You can't change unless you first admit that you're thirsty. So let me read this passage from John chapter 4. It's a famous passage, great passage, and we're going to give kind of a quick look at it. John chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 4. It says this, Now he, it's talking about Jesus, had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, or How however you pronounce that. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of, living, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming. called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. We'll end there for tonight. Let me pray, if I can, together, and then we'll just kind of look at this together. All right, so let me pray. Father, I do ask that in these next few moments, as we uh, pull our attention towards your word, that you would be our teacher. Father, you know that we're tired. It's been a long, fun day out in the sun. Some of these folks are sun-kissed and uh, exhausted, and um, and I'm tired. And so we really do need you, Father, to come and send your Spirit to teach us, because we know that apart from your Spirit's help, that we, we have no hope of understanding this apart from him. And so please come in these next few moments and teach us, because we, we're, we're desperate for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about thirst. And if we look at this passage, we're going to see that Jesus teaches us and shows us three things that we have to understand about thirst. So here are the three things. We're going to learn what thirst is, why it is that we are so thirsty, and then how we can quench it. Okay? Those are the three things Jesus shows us, and I'll just look at these one at a time briefly. What thirst is, why we're so thirsty, and how we can quench it. So first... What is thirst? What what do we mean when we say that? What what does that word mean that's there on your uh, little sheet of paper there? This is the theme of this retreat. What What does that mean? Well, let's go into the story for a second. Jesus is traveling. He's out and about doing his thing, his thang, if you will. And he's passing through this town, and he's tired from his journey. And so he sends his entourage, his disciples, into the town to go get some sandwiches or something. He's chilling by a well, which is what you used to get water with at the time. They didn't have water faucets or water bottles. They had wells that you pulled out water with a bucket. And this woman comes up, who is happens to come up at the same time, and she's about to draw some water herself. And Jesus asks her, hey, you know, can a brother get a drink around here? What, what do I got to do to get a drink around here? And she, because he is Jewish and she's Samaritan, this means that there are different races. And because these two races had a lot of hostility and conflict and hatred for one another, she's kind of freaked out that he would even address her. So she goes, you know, this is kind of why her response is, why would you, a Jewish person, talk to me, a Samaritan? And his response, which I think is kind of funny, uh, he, says, he basically says, look, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked me for a drink. And she's like, um... You don't have a bucket. Uh, You don't have any means of getting water. You have no water. I'm the only one with the bucket. I I think you're a little bit confused. So they start talking about water. And in the context of this conversation, Jesus starts laser beaming right into the center of her heart. Because here's what he does. He basically says, you know how you come here to get water every single day and you're thirsty for it? That is a metaphor for your life. Because the reality is, just like you have physical thirst, your soul is thirsty. Your soul, which has nothing to do with water, is thirsty. You are spiritually dehydrated. Now, What does he mean? What is is he getting at? Well, you know what it's like. You've been in the hot day, hot sun, as you've been today. Or you've been playing, exercising, mowing the yard or something. And you know when your mouth gets dry and your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth. And when you start getting thirsty, when you start getting really thirsty, which my guess is as I talk about this, you're going to start <laughs> getting thirsty because I know that I am. But when you get thirsty, water is all that you can think about. She's even drinking water right now. You're drinking water. It's all that you can think about. You want water. And, and especially if you're really thirsty, that's all you want is water. You don't care about food. You don't care about people. Just, you're elbowing people out of the way to get to water. And when you get it, you chug it, and what's the sound that you make? That's right. What does that sound mean? Satisfaction. I am satisfied with this delicious, cold, refreshing water. Jesus is saying the same reality happens with your soul. Where deep down in your gut, in your bones, in your heart, you are desperately longing and aching for something to give that ah, satisfaction feeling. For example, just to make this uh, a little bit more concrete, some of you think about popularity at your school, within this group, and you think, if I can be popular, if I can have a lot of cool people like me and think that I'm cool, that will give me that feeling in, in my soul. That will make me happy. That will, that will quench my soul's thirst. That will make me satisfied. Uh, or, or some of you, if it's not popularity, some of you think, okay, it's about being on the team. If I can make that team, the sports team, cheerleader team, whatever, then I will be satisfied. If, I'm, if I don't get that, then, then I'll be a total loser, a total uh, nobody. I've got to make that team. And when I get it, that's what gives me the satisfaction. And so, uh, you know, you could say, if, if I get an iPad, my thirst will be quenched. If I, um, if, if that cute boy would just, you know, ask me out, then my thirst will be quenched. If I get into that particular college, my, my soul's thirst will be quenched. If I'm the best player in my particular sport, then my soul's thirst will be quenched. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he means. This is kind of how this works. And so the question is for you, What is it that you long for? That you really think, if I get that, it will satisfy that deep soul thirst? Well, the way that you can know what that is for you is that if you don't get it, or if you're blocked from getting it, you get extremely angry and extremely depressed. Or, if you do happen to have it, but but it gets taken from you, you get angry and depressed, in an overwhelming sense. Example from my life, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was um, put on the ballot to be the homecoming king. It was me and like four or five other guys, and what would happen is that, you know, the whole school would vote on who would be the sophomore homecoming king. I didn't, I didn't win um, the sophomore homecoming king. Thank you for that sympathy. Darn. <laughs> But the thing is, is that for me at that time, looking back, it wasn't a, you know, oh, rats. That actually, when I look back on my life, that moment sent me spiraling into depression. Because for me, having my school give me recognition, having my friends approve of me, think that I was cool, give me that sort of accolade, I felt like if I get that, it will satisfy my soul's thirst. I will be somebody, I will be happy, I will be important. And I didn't get it. And it sent me spiraling into depression to the point where months later, into this depression, when I was in my room listening to the, to the music, angry music, I really was contemplating suicide. To think that nobody likes me, I'm a loser, I'm a nobody. And that is, that's what I saw. It's like, if I don't get this, I'm dying of thirst and I might as well die. And you have felt that. You're in a relationship, you get broken up with, and you just feel this, this avalanche of depression and anger. You, you wanted uh, this particular grade because you worked really hard on this project and you sacrificed everything for it, and you didn't get it, you just feel like a total failure. You thought, "If I get this, it will satisfy me, it'll make me happy, and it gets taken from you, and you just feel crushed. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He says to this woman, "You are desperately thirsty." And he's looking at us as well, and he's saying, you are thirsty. What is it that you really believe is going to satisfy that, that thirst in your gut? I know we can be all religious and spiritual and say, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus. But no pretending aloud on this retreat. What is it that you honestly, practically, really live day to day by to say, if I get that, I will be happy? That's what Jesus is saying, what, what thirst is. But secondly, let's look at the second thing that we learn. Jesus also shows us why it is that we continually remain so thirsty. Why it is that we're so hungry, thirsty, longing, aching, on and on and on. If you've read um, or are familiar with the Harry Potter books, the first Harry Potter book um, or movie, you know that Harry comes upon the mirror of Erised, which the word Erised, you know, is just desire, backwards, clever. Mm-hmm. But what, what, the, what happens with this mirror is that Harry walks up to a mirror and when you look in it, it shows you your deepest desires. So Harry, he walks up to it and he sees in the mirror his parents you know, surrounding him, even though they're not really there, but he sees it in the mirror. And the reason why that's his deepest desire, as you know, is because he who must not be named <laughs> killed his parents when he was younger. I will not say it. I will not say it. You find it sound like the first three sentences of the book. So... But when Ron, his, his best friend, looks into the mirror, Ron doesn't see Harry's parents. Ron sees his deepest desires. He sees himself as head boy, you remember. You know, if I were to look into the mirror, I would see, you know, 70 degree weather in Boone, jumping off waterfalls, swimming in rivers, eating blueberry, eating blueberry pie, whatever. Um, but this is what Jesus is going to do to this woman. He's basically, metaphorically, has this mirror of Aristotle. and he's going to stick it up to her face and show her, this is what you really are you trusting in to satisfy your soul's thirst? And he's going to do the same thing to you. So watch out. So look, look, look at verse 13. Here's what he does. I'll read it again. He says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Lady, you keep coming to this well every single day. Why? Because it's not ultimately satisfying you. It quenches you for a second. ah, But what happens? You start to get thirsty again, so that's why you keep coming back to this well again. Same thing is happening with your soul, he's looking at her and saying. He's saying, what you are using to satisfy your soul's thirst is only making you more thirsty. Here's what he does. Look at verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And he says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What's he doing? He's putting the mirror up to her face and saying... Here is what you really think will satisfy your soul's thirst. What is it? What what is it do you think that this woman looks at and says, if I have that, it will make me happy. It will make me satisfied. What's that? A husband. Men. Romance. (laughs) If If I get him to like me, if I'm in this relationship, I will be happy. I will be satisfied. And Jesus is saying, look at the debris of your life. You're in one failed relationship after the other, and you're currently in a relationship that's not working out. It's not working. The thing that you love the most is the thing that is the most dangerous to you. This is what Jesus is saying to this woman and to us. He's saying sometimes the thing that you love the most is actually the most dangerous thing in your life because it's making you more and more thirsty. I heard this story from a friend of mine. This is a true story, believe it or not. But there's a friend of a friend who sleeps with her pet snake, and this is not a um, this is not a little wormy garden snake either. This is like a massive boa constrictor kind of thing. And so she has she has one half of the bed for her and the other half of the bed for this snake. And so after a while. Uh, this, the snake starts to get sick for whatever reason. Uh, you know, she, She'll put the, the snake in its cage when she goes to work or whatever, and, and the snake's not eating its food. It's, it's, I guess it's sick or something, and so she takes it to the vet. It, it had gone three weeks without eating anything. And so the vet is asking questions, diagnosing the thing, and so the vet realizes, okay, here's what's going on. He says, a snake like this will starve itself to make room for a large prey. <gasps> oh, A snake like this will starve itself to make room for you, is what it's saying. And the doctor's looking at her and saying the same thing Jesus is. The thing that you love the most is the most dangerous thing to you. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. Every one of you, including me, walk through that door tonight thirsty. The deep down kind of thirst. You may have been physically thirsty, I don't know. But deep down, I know that you came in thinking something else will satisfy you. And if whatever that is that you are looking to, to grab and to satisfy your soul's thirst, if it's not Jesus, it's like being completely parched and dehydrated and thinking that you will quench your thirst by grabbing a tall glass of hot sand. It doesn't satisfy In fact, it only leaves you more thirsty. You know the band um, Death Cab for Cutie? The lead singer, Ben Gibbard, wrote an article um, in a music magazine a number of years ago that I happened to read. And what he says in this article is really interesting. He's basically saying music is the most important thing in my life. He says it's more important to me than my family, more important to me than relationships, it's more important to me than anything. Music is the thing that he's saying. Will satisfy my soul's thirst. And I just want to read you a quote from this. Here's what he says I find it very hard to accept the wonderful things in my life. My life really is great. I do exactly what I want to do for a living. I have a wonderful person to share my life with. I have a great family. I have great friends. But somehow there's a void. I've got everything I'm a celebrity, musician, family, fame, friends, still a void. Still thirsty, not working. And you know that feeling, right? You, I mean, there's been things in your life where you're like, I have to have that new video game. If I don't have it, I'm going to die. I've got to get it. And then you get it, and a couple months later, you're bored with it. Don't play it. Didn't satisfy. Still thirsty, want something else now. Didn't satisfy. Or you think, I've, I've got to get that outfit. If I do not get that outfit, I'm going to be a complete loser. No one is going to like me. And so you get it and now you probably don't even wear it much anymore. You're, you want something else. You're ready for something else. Here's my point, is that these things do not satisfy. When you grab something and say, this will make me happy, this will satisfy me, the reason why it doesn't is because it's not going deep enough. You all know the band um, Mumford & Sons? You all like them? Yeah. You know the line from the song um, Roll Away Your Stone? He says, and I have filled this void with things unreal and all the while my character it steals. I think that's brilliant. And he's saying the same thing Jesus is. I have filled this void with things unreal, things that don't really satisfy and it's stealing away my character. It's not satisfying. It's not working and that's why we're still thirsty. Jesus says, this is what thirst is. This is why you're still thirsty. And so the last question, the most important question is, okay, what do we do? How do we quench it? Well, let's look at this briefly, and then we'll be done. Well, look at, verse, um, look at verse 13. Again, I'll just reread it. Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so, apparently Jesus has this living, refreshing water that satisfies and quenches our soul's thirst. Okay, Jesus, well, where is it? How do we get it? Well, we're not going to walk through the whole conversation. If we had time, this is a great conversation between him and this woman to have. But I just want to kind of fast forward to the ending. The very end, this woman is kind of at the, at the end of her rope. Jesus has been kind of drilling, laser beaming into her soul. And she doesn't like it. She doesn't like that feeling, so she's squirming. She's at the, she's at the end of her rope, and here's what she says in verse 25. Verse 25. She says, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. You can almost kind of hear her crying. She's just kind of desperately at the end of herself. It's like, okay, I I don't know much, but all I know is that someone is coming who will make everything right. And Jesus looks at her and says, that's me. I am it. I am what you need. Jesus is saying, I am the one that will satisfy your soul's deepest thirst. So if that is true, then how do we get him? What do we do? Well, two things, and then we'll close. The first thing that you have to do is you have to see what he has done. You have to see what he has done. The thing that I think is so interesting is that in this story, Jesus begins this dialogue with his own thirst. Did you notice that? He comes up to her and says, can you give me a drink? Meaning, I'm thirsty. Here is God incarnate, left heaven, the source of all satisfaction, and humbles himself and comes down to earth in the form of a human, in the person of a human, to experience thirst. He's emptying himself. But that's not the only time Jesus says that he's thirsty. If you fast forward to the end of the Gospel of John, we're in John chapter 4 right now. If you get to John chapter 19, there's another time where he says he's thirsty and he's on the cross. He's emptying himself on the cross, dying, and he says, I am thirsty. I'm dying of thirst. I'm emptying myself of thirst. I'm emptying myself. Why? Why is the source of all satisfaction emptying himself? Is so that he can fill you. He is dying of thirst so that he can fill you with living water. He is drinking in death on the cross so that you can drink in life. And when you see what he has done... The more you understand that, that is what floods your heart with joy. That's what begins to satisfy your soul's thirst. And once you see what he has done, then the second thing that you do is that you take and you drink. You know, if you're dying of thirst, it doesn't really help you if I just put a glass of ice water in front of you. That doesn't help. You have to actually take it, grab it, and pour it into your face. Jesus is saying the same thing. If you want me, you can have me, but you've got to take me, and the way that you take him is by faith. We're going to talk about more about that next day, <laughs> tomorrow. That's how you say that. But I just want to end with this. There's a famous um, part in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia stories where a little girl, Jill, comes up to a river, and she's dying of thirst, but she's also freaked out because Aslan... The the big king, the big lion, is chilling right there by the river. And so here's um, here's how their conversation goes. uh, The lion, Aslan, says, are you not thirsty? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. And the lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at his motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was driving her frantic. "Uh, Will you promise not to uh, do anything if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. (laughs) I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It it just said it. "I, I, I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and then look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Of course, the lion is the Jesus figure of the Chronicles of Narnia. And he's saying that Jesus is the only ultimate source of satisfaction. And so if you want to change, if you want to experience what the Bible calls sanctification, what you have to do is to admit that you're thirsty, You have to admit that you're needy, that you're empty, that you need something from the outside of you to fill you up. And then you see what he has done, and then you take and drink. That's your invitation tonight. Let me pray. Father, we do ask that you would give us grace to see what your son Jesus has done, the life he's lived, the the death he died, the way that he rose for us, We do pray that you would give us eyes to see what he has done, not only just as a historical fact, but as something that is true about us. Give us the grace, give us the faith to see what he has done and then to take and to drink, to drink in the gospel in a deeper way and to be ultimately deeply satisfied with you, with what you have done. That's our prayer for tonight and for these next few days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.